Welcome to Tech Mobility Topics. When it comes to wastewater, it's out of sight, out of mind for most people once it hits the drain. Can scientists and health professionals learn anything from this dream, much less identify health threats to the population? That's a question. This is Topic B. Every now and then, my listeners know that I go into the weeds. And for if you'll pardon the, the, the reference, you guess we're going to go into the sewer on this one. Or, if you will, the gutter, if you want to go that far. But yeah, with the advent of COVID and with the advent of trying to track what's going on in the world relative to public health, one, one outfit in Virginia actually predated the CDC by doing something what they call wastewater surveillance. The concern that was on the table was they wanted to try to get a handle on real-time general populist things relative to the spread and severity of COVID. And, and, I, and I don't mean to be vulgar here, but, you know, people's hygiene habits refer a lot. You can refer a lot. You can learn a lot in wastewater. And they like to basically pull the samples in the morning, you know, when people get up in the morning and do their thing and go about their business because it gives the best indication of condition. Where this is happening, where was one of the first places it was happening, is what they call the Hampton Road Sanitation District, and that's out of Virginia Beach. And they actually started their wastewater surveillance program uh, long before the CDC even recommended it because they wanted to find out what was going on with COVID and see that if they could add that information to their arsenal, what they already knew elsewhere, and to see how it tracked. The Hamptons Roads Sanitation District, that operation, I believe, covers five plants and processes waste for 20% of the entire population of the state of Virginia. That is a lot. They wanted to track the concentration of viruses, bacteria, and effective diseases in sewage to watch for infectious disease outbreaks. Here we are in the world where you're looking at different ways of trying to get honest, accurate, and timely information to warn the populace, if not try to protect them and find out what's going on in real time. And I guess it says that your waste doesn't lie. Wastewater data is a useful complement to traditional metrics of cases, hospitalizations, and deaths, health experts say. The data doesn't depend on people seeking out testing or labs or reporting results, which could be skewed if people who are sensitive do, but the most populist doesn't. And, you know, this gives a more accurate, more broad implication. Technology. It relies on people's daily habits. And the fact that people carrying the virus and are talking about COVID in this case uh, will shed it, pardon me, when they poop. It identifies broad trends quickly and can be used to test for other pathogens like flu, polio, mpox, and antibiotic-resistant bacteria, which in some hospitals in recent years has become a thing. Also, I think, and they've done this also for illicit drugs in the water, and it was some concern in recent years that fentanyl and some of these other horrific drugs were getting in the water and the waste treatment facilities didn't have the ability to filter them out. 
and they were concerned that releasing this stuff untreated into the waters could cause other problems that they were not aware of. So it's a way to track what's going on. So how does, how does sewage from a treatment plant end up as a data point on a COVID dashboard? In the case of Hampton Road Sanitation District, believe it or not, it takes two days and the labor of many people. And it starts with a sample gathered early in the day. That's where it starts. And they pull it and they do a lot of interesting things for it. They take a sample. Once it's bottled, it's chilled ill in a cooler of ice to keep it fresh for the 20-minute drive to the labs at the sewage utilities headquarters. What they tell you is as this stuff gets into the system, it already starts breaking down long before they treat it. So to keep this from breaking down more and keeping what they're trying to get, which when they get to it, is, you know, the COVID virus in the water, in the wastewater. It's a ritual that the team has conducted every week for the past three years. And not at this one plant. And I'm sorry, I said five earlier. It's actually eight total that they manage, covering 5,000 square miles in southeast Virginia. When they started it, of course, it was a lot of trial and error. But now they've got their process dialed in. They know what to do. When it gets to the Surge Utility Headquarters, the sample passes through three adjacent laboratories and several staff to get the virus filtered out of the sewage water, cleaned, and then counted. And the first step is to pass the liquid from the bottle through a paper filter, which helps separate the virus from the sludge in the water. And here's something that I would not have imagined. One of the staff scientists adds acid to the sample to positively charge the virus particles so they're more likely to stick to the negatively charged filter. Adding acid. I don't know. Uh, That's got me too. This just takes a few minutes. The sample's gone from a one liter bottle of liquid to small paper filter about the width of an Oreo cookie. Then it gets stuck in a test tube. And that filter gets bathed in chemicals to release the viral RNA from the cells in the sample and to wash away the poop and other stuff that is not. By the time they get this down to where they want to, they will have it um, in a lot of copies. Now, they're trying to clean up everything but the targets they're looking for, which in this case is COVID. Then they add a fluorescent dye to the sample, which glows when it attaches to the COVID virus. That's pretty cool. Then they take a bit of the treated liquid after all of this acid and fluorescent dye, about the size of a raindrop, and breaks it down into many smaller droplets. And then it's the ratio. The droplets that have COVID in them versus those that don't. And that will serve as the basis for figuring out how much virus is in the total sample. Then they drop it, put the droplets into a machine that makes copies of the virus's genetic code through 40 cycles of heating and cooling, heating and cooling, so the levels will be high enough to measure. That seems like a whole lot of work to track COVID, don't it? But this is what they're doing. And they've been doing it for three years. And they said that in Virginia Beach, it takes processing a single sample that started in a morning two days ago. It would take two days and multiple skilled workers. Now, not every municipal uh, wastewater plant is doing this. Most, in fact, may be sending it to their state health departments and some even the CDC or elsewhere. 
for federal contractors to process. And this is not required, by the way. This is completely voluntary. But the CDC says that nationally, wastewater surveillance programs that they coordinate covers about 40% of the U.S. uh, population. 40%. Can you imagine with technology going the way it is, and you've seen some of the sci-fi movies that actually analyzes your outgo in the bathroom before it even gets into the surgery treatment plant. Those days are coming, and this is just the start. Can you imagine the possibility of real-time medical diagnosis based on a sample that you give in the morning automatically? Hmm. We are the Tech Mobility Show. Did you know that you could still listen to past shows of Roadworthy Drive? Ken Chester here. With the change to the Tech Mobility Show, we've taken steps to maintain our vast library of past shows for your listening pleasure. Whether you want to listen to 1, 10, or 50 of our 1,000 shows, we got you covered. Be sure to visit roadworthydrive.buzzsprout.com or roadworthydrivemoment.buzzsprout.com and subscribe. There's no recurring commitment and you can opt out at any time. We set the price super low so that access to the shows is easy and carefree. Thank you so much for your support. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. Roadworthy Drive is now the Tech Mobility Show. I'm Ken Chester, your host. Every week, I delve into the current trends and topics that impact you when it comes to mobility and technology. Things are changing fast, and I cover these topics in a way that's easy to understand. By tuning into the Tech Mobility Show, you can keep informed about the latest happenings with self-driving vehicles, auto finance, electric airplanes, and more. That's the Tech Mobility Show, heard each week on this very fine radio station. These days, everybody wants to be social, and we're no exception. Hi, I'm Ken Chester, host of the Tech Mobility Show. We get to share additional content that you won't find on the show. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even TikTok. Yeah, we're there. You can find us at Tech Mobility Pod on Twitter and at the Tech Mobility Show everywhere else. Check us out. Be sure to follow us. Believe it or not, the Tech Mobility Show has a website. Yep. Combined with all the other ways you can interact with us, our website is a great place to start. Learn more about the host, find us in the news, and even check out where you can hear our programs across the country on the radio. I know, right? Our website is a great place to learn more about us and our programming. Go to techmobility.show for more information. 